I'm Daniel Chacon. Welcome to Words on a Wire. I am the chair of the Department of Creative Writing here at the University of Texas, El Paso. Uh, outgoing chair, I might add. I'm um, stepping down this year. But one of the things that I always try to get undergraduates to understand, those who might be looking for a major and those who might want to consider creative writing as a major, one of the things I want to let them know is that you could do just about anything with a creative writing degree. Today, we're going to talk to Will Rose, who is a CMO of a large tech company in New York City. And he's an incredibly successful executive. And uh, we're, going to add, we're going to talk to him and uh, hear about his story. He has his degree in creative writing right here from the University of Texas in El Paso. And um, we're going to find out how he used his creative writing experience and his love for writing to forge an incredible career that he has now that allows him to travel the world and to visit so many different places and um, eat so many different foods. One of the greatest thing about traveling or living in a dynamic city is all the food you can eat. Um, so stick around and we'll talk to Will Rose. Will Rose, welcome to Words on a Wire. Thanks for having me. So let's start with a little bit of, uh, uh, maybe you could tell us your story, uh, and maybe not Will Rose was born, you know, on blank, 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 but maybe start with your story as a writer creative writer here at UTEP, undergraduate, got your degree in creative writing, and how you ended up where you are now, which is really a fascinating life that you have, a fascinating job, a very uh, uh, prestigious job, CEO, not CEO, but uh, I don't know, what is a CEO? I don't even know what the hell that is. Yeah, a CEO is chief executive officer. I'm not a CEO. I'm the CMO, the chief marketing officer. Okay. See, I um, knew there was a C and an O involved somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, tell us your story about how you got from where you are to where you are now and all the creative things you're about to do. Sure, sure. Yeah. So I, you know, I, um, you know, I'm from El Paso. I, uh, you know, went to the Andrews High School and and before I started UTEP, I was kind of unsure uh, what I wanted to do. I was kind of, you know, slinging pizzas at Pizza Hut. And I had this idea that uh, I, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, be a writer or do something creative like that, uh, but didn't really know what the steps would be, um, you know, a little lost. And I, I encountered someone, I don't remember who, um, who gave me um, a couple books to read. Uh, this person was, you know, an aspiring writer. And um, Do you I read, remember the name of the person? No, I, I can't. I was actually thinking about it before uh, wow. I came on today, and I cannot remember the person's that name. Poor, that, that, that poor anonymous soul getting no credit for your success. Yeah, yeah, I feel <laughs> terrible about it. But I, I, just, I remember the books that this person gave me, and uh, one of the books was um, a book by Ben Signs. It was um, uh, mm. Carry uh, Me, uh, Carry Carry me, me like, like Water. water. Yeah, yeah, Carry I Me Like Water. I love that title. It's always been among my favorite titles in all of novels. Yeah, I, I loved it. And the story stayed with me. Uh, you know, I read this book, you know, more than 20 years ago, and it's uh, really stayed with me. And and the, the person who gave me the book uh, mentioned that, hey, this person teaches at UTEP. 
you know, they actually teach creative writing at UTEP. You should, you know, think about it. But this person knew I was, you know, dabbling in the idea at least of, of writing something. So um, I looked into it. I enrolled at UTEP and um, in my uh, first semester, my first full semester there, um, I, I took a class with Ben Sines. It was like an intro to poetry class. And nice. I, I still remember he gave me a B. And uh, to this day, I'm upset about that. I'm upset I have about a cell B. number. You yeah. want to send him a nasty <laughs> yeah. text? Let's do it right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, But I liked it despite my B. Um, I, I was really into it. I, I loved what, you know, I loved that, uh, you know, the thought of living a creative life and uh, producing something that, you know, that, you know, at least to me would be meaningful, but hopefully meaningful to other people. Um, and it was a great experience on my time at UTEP. And this was, uh, you know, this was the early 2000s. I graduated in 2003. So this would be the years leading up to that. Um, you know, I, I met you, uh, you know, I had classes with, uh, with Lex uh, Williford, um, Leslie Ullman, uh, you know, great, this great group of of writing teachers, right? And I, I got to live this life is, you know, kind of a life of a writer for three or four years. Um, nice. and so then, wait, let me, let me ask you something yeah. about that period. Uh, I remember you were in a class of mine. Uh, I don't remember what class it was, but I remember that at the time you were very much influenced in your fiction. You wanted to be a fiction writer. I never known you to want to be a poet, uh, but you were very much influenced by uh, Juno Diaz. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? And is that still the case if you were to return to fiction or when you do write fiction? Yeah, I mean, he was uh, in, you know, it's funny that you bring him up because there was probably three books that I, I read uh, before I decided to, uh, to go to UTEP and, and major in creative writing. And, you know, one was Ben's book and one was Drowned by Juno Diaz mm-hmm. Um and the, uh, the other one was a book called uh, Wonder Boys by uh, uh, Michael Chabon, uh, Chabon. I don't yeah. know if I'm saying his name right, uh, which is a book about like creative writers. Um, right. And uh, and so that, that like kind of that life intrigued me. Um, uh, but yeah, these these books like I, I, you know, I actually read right before I decided to go. And Juno Diaz ended up being like, you know, someone I admired for a lot of years and, you know, uh, kept up with his career. Uh, and, you know, there was a time where. You know, I was, uh, you know, people, I was early in my my time trying to be a writer. You know, I would try to mimic, right? Right. Um, and so he was one of those people that I would I would try to mimic or... Wait, or, did you try to mimic or did you just mimic even without trying? I, I'm, I, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, <laughs> he was definitely influential into what yeah. I was trying to do. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I don't know if that made me... Uh, uh, you know, if that was a good idea or not, but uh, you know, you, I, well, let, let me let me back up and say I don't yeah. think it's an idea. I think yeah. that writers are influenced by certain voices, and mm-hmm. whether they're conscious of it or not, they they do that. I think if you read Faulkner as a young writer, you're going to unconsciously write like Faulkner or Raymond right. Carver or whoever had a strong voice. So I think it's just a part of artistic development and probably an indication of your early talent because I remember you were a very talented writer. Oh, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, the, and, and that's what, you know, I was trying to go, you know, all in on this idea of, uh, of living this, like this idea in my head about living a literary life, right. Being consumed by books and, right. and producing literature. And, um, you know, and, and I did aspire to primarily, uh, write, uh, fiction, but, you know, I did, uh, want to dabble in, um, in poetry. I even took mm-hmm. a, uh, a, uh, a, uh, a, a, a script writing class uh, in the theater department outside of the creative writing department 
um, a playwriting class, I should say. Um, and that was a great experience, right? So I knew I wanted to do something in, in this area. Um, and, you know, like I said, it was a, it was a great experience um, those years at UTEP. And, and, you know, in 2003, I graduated without a plan at all, right? <laughs> so uh, so I didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, uh, I knew I wanted to, um, you know, find a somewhat stable situation where I could potentially spend time and be creative, right? You know, I could mm-hmm. go and and pay, you know, pay rent somehow. And then, uh, with the, whatever free time I had, do something creative. Uh, I ended up, um, uh, jumping around a little bit. I lived in Austin, Texas for a couple of years. Uh, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona and, you know, in Arizona, I got, I just applied to a job, um, at a tech company and, uh, answering billing calls, right. I was just like helping people make payments with their credit cards or, or solving billing issues, people calling me angrily uh-huh. about why their bills were messed up. And I was doing that for a little while. Um, and it just, it was a random job, entry-level job, um, had nothing to do with, you know, what I studied in school or anything like that. But uh, it was interesting being around these tech people. It was my first exposure to being around uh, a tech company and these people mm-hmm. that were software engineers and IT administrators and um, I really got into that. So I would, uh, I, I even remember asking uh, the tech support managers, you know, can I just listen in on some of these calls? It's interesting to me. Maybe I can get into tech support uh, sometime. Uh, so I just started like, you know, going headfirst in technology, right? And learning how to, um, you know, manage a server or how to uh, write some code or whatever, right? I was dabbling mm-hmm. in a few things. Um, one of the, uh, he was a vice president of technical operations uh, was his title. Um, uh, I do remember his name. His name's Derek. Uh, and, uh, he actually, even though he was in technology, he was actually an English major in college. And, you know, so we talked a lot about, so you guys talked about books. Yeah. We talked about books. Um, uh, he had actually went to the university of Arizona first and chanced at Iowa. And so he was familiar with the writing programs there. I mean, he uh-huh. wasn't a writer himself, but you know, he knew right. about the, uh, the writer's workshop at Iowa. Um, he was very familiar with, uh, David Foster Wallace at the university of Arizona where he, you know, that's where he got his MFA. So we would talk about these things and it was great because I had someone that, um, you know, uh, had a foot in my world and, you know, he had a foot in the world that I was interested in getting into right. a little bit more. So he gave me a chance that, uh, there was an open position in the marketing department and he just came by my desk one day. It's like, you know, what? you should apply to this and you, you know, you, uh, you can, I'm assuming you can write decently. Uh, we need a, someone that can write content and marketing. So I applied, I got the job. Uh, and I spent a few years uh, as a, uh, a copywriter. You know, I would write sales copy. I would write sales content and stuff, you know, stuff so you were using your You were using your writing experience yeah. to get ahead in your, in your institution, in your company. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and so, I, I, you know, I feel like my strength as a writer translated well there, even though, you know, the craft of being a, a copywriter is not, you know, is not really similar to being a craft of writing good fiction. But... Right. You know the skill set is the fundamentals are still there, right? And I could I could yeah. turn I could turn out content quickly and and, and um, I bet I I know you uh, enough to to wager that when you wrote content, you really paid attention to language and wanted it to be good and wanted those who read it to say, hey, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. And and when I started, we started a blog. 
Um, and this was, you know, this was 2007, 2008, when blogging uh, companies were really getting into blogging. So mm-hmm. companies were investing a lot in, you know, um, getting people the, uh, the right blog content and, you know, it just to attract web traffic and stuff like that. So we were putting a lot of energy in the blogging a year or two into this new job. Uh, and so mine. you were writing blogs as well. Right, right. So I was writing That's these amazing. blogs and then I really got, and, and the same individual, um, uh, gave me a lot of leeway onto what I write about. So I was, I was, you know, for a blog for a technology company, I was getting a little goofy in some cases, right? <laughs> I, I was writing, uh, you know, I was really focusing on writing, uh, stuff I wanted to write about, right? Not just, wow. tech, not and just getting paid you know, for it. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So it was the kind of the first time in my life where I realized like, Hey, I'm actually getting paid to write something, you know, That's it's, it, you know, it's not a novel, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's actually something I enjoy and I seem to be decent at. Um, and then, so a couple years later, I, I, you know, I get promoted, I start becoming, you know, um, uh, uh, in a position of, you know, management or whatever, um, and uh, start building a team. And one of the first things I did once I was in a leadership position was I had this idea that I wanted to, I wanted to start a new company website that was just focused on storytelling. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I hired, um, a couple of writers, uh, people that, wow. you know, uh, one of them had an MFA, uh, the other one, uh, was kind of a journal, a journalist background. And, um, I wanted them to, just write interesting stories about customers, about, um, about employees. And so, and once we started sitting down and just with like employees at the company, it was like, tell me your story. Is there something interesting that we can write about? (laughs) And, you know, and uh, this one gentleman that uh, I'm still close with, his name is Tom. uh, He, he was, uh, he worked military intelligence and was in Germany when the Berlin wall came down. I was like, this is fascinating. Like, let's, let's tell this story. It has nothing to do with what we're selling, but it turned out that, you know, customers enjoyed it, right? They, they liked it, built, a, you know, an affinity for our brand. Um, and, and I felt like our customers um, just liked us more, right? I mean, they, they felt oh. a connection with us. They, they learned right. about uh, the people that, that, that work for the company. We had another, another employee. He, he moonlighted as a, uh, a referee for, an, for the NHL hockey team um, uh, in Arizona. So he would have to leave work. Uh, early some days and go and be a referee for an NHL game. Uh, wow. And so that's like fascinating. Like that's not something you think about like a, a software engineer would, would do uh, with his evenings. So, uh, and we would also tell stories about customers, right? We would, uh, great right. customers ours, we'd say, you know, like tell me about your life. Um, and we, we'd write about it, right? And and it became uh, something I was very proud of and it's something I wanted wow. to do more of. Um, you know, fast forward, uh, a few more years, um, you know, I got this, the, uh, the office in Phoenix was a subsidiary of a bigger company based out of New York city. And so in, in 2016, I got an invite, uh, from the CEO to run marketing from the corporate level for, and, you know, the company was a decent size, you know, uh, publicly traded on NASDAQ, you know, like a real, a real company. Right. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and, um, I had an opportunity to run marketing for, uh, the whole company and, and all the subsidiaries. And it was a great experience. Um, so, it was a li- so, 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 um, you, uh, you were able to live in New York, to move to New York city and to live there and to have a job good enough to, uh, to pay for an apartment. Yeah, yeah, it, it was too good to be true. I was, you know, when wow. I got the phone call, I was like, you "Serious? Like you're just get, you're going to pay for my move to New York City, a place I've always wanted to live." Um, and you know, 
it, it, it was a great, you know, several years. So this was 2016 when I first moved there. Um, it, it was a great experience. And I, I, I got to spend some time thinking about where I wanted to live oh, in New York. And, I, wait, I, yeah. I want to hear, I want to hear, uh, you, you think in stories and that's the creativity yeah. you're bringing yeah. to your marketing. Yeah. I want to get later on into what it is that you do now as CMO yeah. and, and talk a little bit about your team. But I would love to hear a story about, coming to New York, maybe the first day that you, you were there or looking for an apartment or something that just resonates with you emotionally uh, that you'll never forget about moving there. Yeah. You know, I, when I, you know, I spent a lot of time researching, you know, New York city and where I was going to live. Right. And so I, I needed to coordinate because our company had a couple offices, one office in long Island and one office in Manhattan. So I, I wanted to be strategic and Queens made a lot of sense. It was kind of in the middle uh, but, you know, my I was born in Korea. My mother's Korean. And um, there's a neighborhood here um, in Flushing called Murray Hill, Murray Hill, Queens. It's a little confusing because people are familiar with New York City. There's a Murray Hill in Manhattan as well. So it's, it's a little confusing. <laughs> that is kind of confusing. Yeah. yeah. But the Murray Hill in Queens is Koreatown. It's a very big Koreatown. Wow. And so that's, you know, where I'm physically at right now. And, so you um, can you can leave your building right now and 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 go to the street and get Korean food. <laughs> yes, there are uh, you know there's probably a hundred Korean restaurants in walking distance from me. I'm not exaggerating. Wow. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's great. I mean, I, I live in you know a, a really cool neighborhood, and I felt you know a, a personal connection to it. You know, like uh, uh, in a way, it was a way for me to connect with you know, my roots and growing up, you know, uh, my father was in the military. Um, you know, I, I didn't have an opportunity to, to really live through my, you know, or experience my mother's culture too much. Right. I mean, my experience with Korean culture was just through my mother. Um, and so here's my opportunity to actually live in a Korean neighborhood and, (laughs) and experience that. Right. And, and having, um, you know, not just Korean barbecue, which is what every, most people think of Korean food, right. But actually real, like, all the other stuff that Korean people right. eat as well. Right. Um, and, uh, so, it, you know, it's, you know, more than food, but just, you know, being around my neighbors are Korean, you know, the, the, uh, the, the deli on the corner where I, uh, you know, get my random grocery items is uh, a Korean deli. Um, it, it's, it's great. So it, this was exactly the kind of experience I, I wanted to get. Um, and then being in Queens, and I love Queens uh, because it is so diverse, and you know every neighborhood is like like a different um, country. Um, the seven train that runs through Queens, like every stop is a different country, right? So Flushing, wow. next to me is the Flushing, the main area of Flushing, which is Chinatown. So I live in the Korean section of uh, Flushing, and there's the very big Chinese uh, area of Flushing, um, which I believe is bigger than Chinatown in Manhattan. It's, it, oh, and, my God. And that must have some amazing food. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's actually a uh-huh. lot different than the Chinatown in Manhattan. Uh, one thing, it's, it's a Mandarin-speaking um, uh, neighborhood where Chinatown, Manhattan, historically has been Cantonese. So it's, it's even a lot different. Um, uh, and, but, it, you know, it's it's. The food's great. The people are great. And then, you know, one stop after that on the seven train, uh, you're like in little Colombia on the other side of the park. Um, like in uh, Colombia, uh, Bogota, Colombia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. So um, and so and another stop after that, um, you know, is uh, 74th Street stop is where all the um, uh, the great Indian restaurants are. Um, you know, uh-huh. just so every stop is like just known for something else like. 
Um, Himalayan food is like the stop after that. Um, it just like it's just Himalayan really cool. food. right. Yeah, there's oh a lot. Oh my of god, Himalayan, I don't think yeah. we have a single Himalayan restaurant in El Paso, <laughs> Texas. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know what Himalayan food was, but it's Neither you know, I. yeah, but it's uh, it's That's it's awesome. good stuff. It's good stuff, right. and um, uh, so Queens is is wonderful, right? I mean, uh, most people in Queens are bilingual. I mean, over uh, you know, 120 languages apparently are spoken here. Um, it's, it's a really great place. I love it so much. And uh, it's my favorite part of New York city. And I'm glad I, I, you know, I decided to live here. Um, but so my experience coming here, you know, uh, finding this apartment, I got lucky with the apartment. Uh, it's right next to uh, a train station. So I had easy access to travel, um, throughout the city. Um, you know, I, I can see the Manhattan skyline in the distance. And so it was just kind of like this, um, uh, this, this, you know, kind of perfect story of how I imagined moving to New York City would be. Wow. It actually panned out. Uh, so I, I feel very, very lucky there. And, um, you know, and then the opportunity uh, job-wise to work in, in the New York City area and, uh, you know, meet people that live here. It, it, the, you know, the culture shock, is, <laughs> it was a real thing. From El Paso uh, to Austin to Phoenix to New York. That's, yeah. that's awesome. You know, uh, it's interesting because when we were talking about how you started out at UTEP as a creative writer, you mentioned several times what really attracted you uh, was the writer's life. I want to live like that. And uh, you're kind of doing that, aren't you? Yeah, a little bit. I'm not in the way I, I imagined it would uh, work, but it, it, it's uh, still we're kind of worked out. Um, but I, I imagine yeah. there's been times when, like, let's say you're you're uh, when you first started there, and then you had a couple of days off. Like, what would you do? And during that time, did you ever just? I know this sounds a little corny, but get so inspired that you had to pull out a pen and paper and start writing. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, one of the, my favorite things to do in New York is just find a random place to sit down and just sit down for, a, you know, for hours, potentially. Um, you know, initially, I would go to the, like the, the more touristy areas like Central Park or, you know, some of the other parks like uh, Union Square. Uh, and I love Union Square, but there's and there's always interesting things going on there. And it's kind of Union Square is kind of the heart of the publishing world, too. So maybe that's right. what I was drawn. Oh, to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you got the uh, the flagship Barnes and Nobles uh, right on one end. The other end is Strand Bookstore, which is one of the biggest uh, independent bookstores uh, in the country. Um, so it's just a great spa- uh, place for me just to hang out. But then I would discover other parts of the city that, you know, aren't, you know, like aren't areas that you see in the movies all the time and just places to sit down. And one thing, the biggest thing uh, that I appreciate about New York is that people are just out and about and sitting down and doing nothing, right? People are just sitting on benches and talking or, you know, enjoying watching the squirrels on the the trees. Mm -hmm. Uh, You just don't see that in other cities, um, at least not where I've been. Uh, And so why, why do you think that is? You know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, uh, I think just culturally it's just uh, normal, you know, they go out and spend time you know, outside. It could, be, it could be that a lot of people, probably the majority of people live in apartments and they don't have backyards that they can go to and they want to get out of their apartment. And so the city is like their living room in a sense right. no, that's, an extension of their lives. That makes a lot of sense. And it, it, I'm sure that that's a big part of it, um, you know, and being cramped up in a tiny apartment, uh, I would probably, you know, uh, it probably motivated for me to go outside a lot, right? Because my apartment is not a big apartment. Um, and you're just kind well, of, yeah, ish- because you've got it filled with books, Will, you can't find your way around. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, you know, I, so tell you know, us I, about one of these places. 
Uh, yeah, so there's um, there, just on one random street um, uh, down like 10th Avenue or something, there's just a little uh, a nook park uh, that's it has a few benches. And um, it, it's it was just a nice place that I just found under good lighting where I could take a book and read. Uh, that was important to me. Wherever I go, you know, I, I, you know, I always have a book with me in New York. And it's like a New York thing, too. When I go on the subways, people commonly have books and their faces are, are in the books. Even when it's cramped, uh, people, uh, you know, will have elbow to elbow, but they'll have a book in their face. And I, I always wow. like looking at what they were reading. Uh, you know, so I, I always made it a habit to also have a book wherever I went. And um, so I would just find random spots and I and enjoyed walking through the city. I didn't like taking the subway too much. You know, I'm a big guy, you know, it's like people are, <laughs> are, are tightly around me. So I, when I could, I would just walk and I would walk a lot through the city and just find these random uh, spots where I could sit down, pull out a book. And if it was getting dark, you know, just somewhere there was some kind of light where I could just, you know, read into the evening. And uh, I just enjoyed it. And I, you know, I would spend time just sitting there thinking, um, and, uh, you know, finding inspiration and, and whether that's inspiration, you know, the right some creatively or something related to work or both, um, you know, having the freedom to just think and, you know, um, enjoy free time to be creative. That's, you know, that's one thing I, I discovered and valued a lot here. You know, I was reading, uh, today, uh, uh, this passage that was talking about the runner's high, you know, you, you run enough and you get, uh, you know, I guess these endorphins get released and you just feel almost out of body. They just feel uh, sublime. You feel whole, you know, uh, and I run, but I've never run enough to get that runner's high ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the, what this passage was saying that I was reading this morning was that there's also uh, a thinker's high where you have this time walking in the city or sitting in a garden and you're thinking uh, maybe you're walking your dog and you're thinking about something, whether it's work or whether it's creative, uh, but you're going really deep into thought. And then suddenly you feel it, the thinker's high. And I 100% believe that exists because I Absolutely. think it's happened to me and to most writers. And it sounds like you're getting a lot of that. Yeah. And I think I was seeking that. Right. And like where uh, that's that's, you know, getting that high of that thinker's high um, is something I pursued, you know, and that's, I think, what part of what motivated me to define these little places in the city where I could I could, you know, I could reach that level of Zen. Well, you know, also there's this other thing, because if you think about writing and writers, you know, we start with Faulkner, we start with. Raymond Carver, we start with Toni Morrison, we start with uh, uh, Juno Diaz, and we start with uh, Michael Chabon. I don't know if I'm saying <laughs> it right either. Or, uh, you know, we start with all these writers, and what we're doing is we're influenced by their voices. And so whether we realize it or not, as we're writing, we're kind of channeling uh, channeling them. And the voice is, is rhythm. It's, it's incantation. It's language. And so in a sense, when we're writing we are communicating with those who have influenced us in terms of their language. You know, we're almost 
to be kind of corny, sharing a spirit, as it mm. were, because language is spirit. In the beginning was the word, right? The word and the word was with God, the language. And, you know, and that's, of course, what makes us unique as human beings is that we use language to tell our stories. But this idea that you have a thinker's high that you're thinking, whether we're conscious of it or not, anytime we enter a thought model, uh, there have been others who have accessed that same model. And whether it's philosophy or whether it's an idea for a character or an idea for marketing, when we do that, we're almost on some sense communicating with beings, thought beings outside of our own existence. And that connects us and makes us whole. And that could be why we experience uh, that, uh, that thought high, because mm. it connects us. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Um and that feeling, I think that feeling and that, that connection that we subconsciously feel um, is important in, in a lot of things oh, yeah. that we do, right? And feeling connected yeah. with, you know, what came before you. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Especially in a city like New York, you could be walking, you're connecting not only with the thought beings that are, that have accessed the same models of, and the same patterns that you're thinking about, but also the people who have walked where you're walking. I imagine there's even times when you felt different energies at different parts of the city. And those energies sometimes were comfortable and sometimes, uh, you know, and the comfortable ones lead to a more expansive, creative landscape. Right. And I think, you know, maybe I, I, I that's part of the reason why I would kind of try to find new areas in the cities. And I, I did get different vibes from it different, you know, a, a sense of things, depending on where, where I decided to find a bench. Um, <laughs> and, and every neighborhood felt different, you know, and, the, and not just, um, you know, how, not just the vibe of the neighborhood, but um, the sound and the smell and, you know, all the sensory items are, feel different in every neighborhood. And um, I think, you know, experiencing those is one of the motivations, to, yeah. to, you know, well, it sounds like you're for. already you're already living the writer's life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're you're living the writer's life more so than than most writers because most writers are you know like me. Uh, you know, uh, we're we're teaching. You know, we're all we're completely part of that writing culture, and oftentimes don't have access to a lot of stimuli that's outside of the university or outside of where we go for the summer with other writers or go to conferences and. Uh, so you, 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 I don't know. It seems like you're already, you're living that. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that sounds nice. And I, I like to think of it that way. <laughs> and, <laughs> but and, do you wish you had you more know, time to write? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's one of the, uh, you know, the, I, I don't want to say disappointments, but the things that, um, you know, I want to find more time to do, uh, is, is, you know, these, these other ambitions that I have, um, you know, the fact is uh, I, I blinked my eyes and it's, you know, 20 years have passed and uh, I've been head down in this, this career path. Um, and I, you know, I felt like I've forgotten some of the things that uh, are also important to me. So it's a matter of, you know, finding balance and in, in time to, to do these other things that are important to me, like, um, you know, like writing creatively and, and doing stuff that's not necessarily tied to my day job. Right. And that's the challenge, I think, because like, you know, I used to have dreams of living in New York or living in Paris or living in some great city. But I've always known that 
in order for me to do it, I would have to have a job in that city. Mm. And that's not what I loved about the city. <laughs> I loved my idle time in the city, my creative time, you know, and, uh, um, but it sounds like you're not fragmenting in a sense that you are putting that creativity to use in the job that you have. Can you talk a, the, a little bit about what you're doing now as CMO and uh, talk about, maybe tell us uh, a little bit about uh, uh, your position. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I actually recently, about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, I um, I switched companies. Um, I, I was uh, head of marketing at the last company and and I joined this new uh, tech startup um, as the chief marketing officer in a little bit different dynamics, uh, much smaller company. Um, I don't have as big of a team, um, but we're kind of building something from scratch, which is some, mm-hmm. something that excited me. And having a little bit more freedom to to find a voice for the company, right? And this is something that I, I am in charge of, right? So that mm-hmm. before I was working with a well-established company that, you know, uh, I was just kind of, um, you know, continuing on the traditions of uh, of what they were already of uh, of accomplished and the brand that they've set, and now I'm in a position where um, I can create something from the ground up and uh, and you know find that voice of the company. Like, what are what's the, what are we trying to say? Why are we important? Um, and uh, and so this that's been an exciting opportunity for, for me to kind of build something from that starting point and and trying to find ways to be creative about it. So, uh, you know, I mentioned to you uh, before we started that uh, uh, we're talking about our microphones um, uh, of my intent of starting a podcast uh, for for the company. Um, you know, obviously, the intent here is to um, is to sell things. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 a business and, and we have that goal at the end of the day. But, I, you know, what can I do to make this a little bit more interesting and uh, and and actually provide value to people mm-hmm. like you know who's going to spend 30 minutes listening to a podcast trying to sell you something it's i don't want there's got to be, be stories right right yeah so <laughs> how do we tell stories um mm-hmm. and so that's the, that's the goal of what we're developing right now um you know this is something i i, I want to get going over the summer um you know we're uh, we're investing more um resources to uh, to do more types of storytelling through through blog writing, through um, you know uh, through videos, uh, animations. I, I have a gentleman working for me that uh, is is making animations, right? And we're we're trying to figure out, okay, how can we um, incorporate this into our messaging and and you know as part of our 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 branding and storytelling in general. And so you know, right now we're we're still early on. We're we're just being creative and thinking about. Um, you know, what's our plan? How to, how do we best craft a message that's going to resonate with people and not come off as, as sales? Um, you know, we, one thing that marketing has uh, evolved over the years is that uh, consumers are very well educated about everything now, right? The internet mm-hmm. provides us everything we need to do. If you want to buy a washer and dryer, you go to Best Buy, you don't need to talk to a salesperson so they can tell you about features, right? Most people come uh, already informed about what they're buying. Uh, so, it's so now the the challenge is not to sell the features of the wash and dryer. It's to um, you know um, get the branding out there and give people a reason to pick your brand over someone else. And you know how do you make that emotional connection with people? You know, I was reading in uh, I think it was Psychology Today uh, this very short article about uh, research that has recently been done 
uh, about uh, political positions and political attitudes. And what it was saying was that no matter how much data you present or no matter how many facts you present for your argument, you're not going to get somebody to be sympathetic to your political view. Uh, uh, you're not going to get them to change their mind. You know, especially now, it's, things are so fragmented um, uh, politically. Um, it used to be Democrats and Republicans were part of the same party, in a sense. They were one party with two names. But now it seems like there's a right-wing shift that is, you know, really incredibly extreme. And people from both sides don't listen to each other. But what it was saying was that, and they're not going to, the only thing that will cause them to listen to you is a story about why you feel that way. Yeah, and that that line of thinking certainly applies to to modern marketing, and you know that's the that's the approach we play. I mean, if we, you know, part of our jobs is to change someone's mind, right? And so, why why how do you change someone's line of thinking? Um, and, and let me back up for a second. So, one, I'm not going to give you a, a pitch of the company I work for, but um, you know, one of the things that we do is uh, artificial intelligence uh, technology, right? And so, one of the challenges that we have is that uh, artificial intelligence um, creeps some people out, right? And for good reason, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if, if the misuse of AI uh, has a lot of implications and could, uh, you know, be damaging in a lot of ways. So um, uh, the way, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I don't feel like our product uh, is, is dangerous, right? But I got to make sure I communicate properly and do our storytelling of why um, this makes sense, why this is helpful, what, what are, you know, what are we doing that, um, is, is providing safe, uh, safeguards around, uh, what we're doing, et cetera. Right. And so you can't just say that, Hey, this is safe. Um, these are the features and people just trust you. Right. So over time, we got to constantly get a message out, um, and tell a story about what we're trying to do, why it's helpful, um, and et cetera. Right. So you can't just, you can't just sit someone in an elevator, give your pitch and your job's done. It's, it's much more of a long game in, in telling that story over and over again in different ways. Yeah, and the story has to resonate uh, to uh, some of the images in the story have to just stick with, you know, uh, stick with the people and also relate them to other, I guess, emotional histories or emotional narratives mm -hmm. that, that they've become accustomed to. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And, you know, it's weird, like a lot, a lot of the talk uh, in, the, you know, uh, amongst my peers in marketing is is just um, emphasis on, on psychology, right? And I'm a little hesitant of, of you know, calling uh, psychology a big piece of marketing because I, I feel like maybe that's not too respectful to the field of psychology where we're oh, all just... But it, but it is. You know, even, yeah. even cognitive scientists right. that are doing great research are also mm -hmm. working for big marketing companies. I mean, it, it's, I think it's, I think it's a legitimate part of the right, uh, right. The and discipline. you know, and I, you know, I, I don't think I'm anything more than maybe an armchair psychologist, right? Or, or really have a basic understanding of what motivates people or what might resonate with people. But you know, you, we do try to apply these things, right? And get you know, and um, you know, the idea of empathy, right? I mean, it, to be a marketer, you have to you have to understand empathy and. Under, try to understand where your customers are coming from or your audience right. is coming from. It's, it's, it's part of, you know, that's the challenge of getting that right. What do you plan on doing 
in the next five, 10 years. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, you know, I, I'm going to continue down this, uh, this, this similar path that I've been on. Um, you know, I, I still want to be ambitious with, uh, with, with my career, but I, I do want to make it more of a priority to, um, uh, to be, you know, to do, to, to do my own writing, um, that mm-hmm. is not sales and marketing, um, uh, you know, so whatever, you know, whatever path I need to take to get there, I, I, I want to take, right. And I think, you know, part of the luxury of, of how I, pro- I progressed over the past few years and, you know, being in a position of leadership and being able to set my own agenda mm-hmm. and prioritize my time and having more autonomy when it comes to, um, having control over that, uh, I'm hoping that, uh, affords me some, uh, more time to, to concentrate on that. But, you know, I'd be honest with you, I don't know if that's going to work out, but that's something I, I, I want to go towards. And, uh, you know, time, times, uh, you know, time passes us by so quickly. So, um, you know, I, I hope in 10 years, uh, we, uh, talk about this, uh, episode, um, that, <laughs> that things kind of worked out. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but that's, that's where I went ahead and, um, you know, and try to incorporate, you know, more of these creative things into, into my marketing, right? I, I feel like, um, the type of marketing I do is, is a little bit different than what, uh, our, you know, my competitors are doing. Um, I do want to be content focused, um, storytelling focused, that's how I want to resonate with people. So if I can be innovative or try new things in that area, um, that's, that's what I want to do. And if it doesn't work, then I'll pivot. But, um, you know, but that's, you know, that's my, my desire to approach things that way definitely comes out. It's, uh, you know, um, you know, my experiences early on in, in, in wanting to be a creative writer, right. That, that's, that's kind of led me to here. I don't think I would have headed in this direction without that, uh, piece of my past. Um, and you know, I'm every day is just about discovering what works and what I can get away with and, and, um, trying new things. You know, it's funny because uh, at uh, the University of Texas here in El Paso, in the creative writing department, where we have a BA in creative writing, you're one of our graduates. Uh, we're always trying to express things you can do with a creative writing degree other than the traditional uh, uh, path. And you're certainly a great example of of what you could do with a creative writing degree. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I, I think it, it really, you know, I think people need to, um, you know, view uh, view a creative background and and and, and limitless, uh, you know, possibilities that could come out of that. Um, uh, I, I don't think I'd be where I'm at without that background. You know, yeah, I could have went the traditional and you know route of majoring in in, in marketing and and focusing on the the analytical and the business side of things, but. Um, uh, and maybe I would have been the s- successful marketer with that background as well. But I, um, I feel like this is, uh, I wouldn't have changed anything about how mm-hmm. I came up and, and, and how that has influenced all my approaches to what I do uh, every day. So um, I, I really appreciate that, that time I spent um, studying creative writing and, and living the creative life. Um, and uh, and then hopefully that continues to be impactful into how I approach things are you are you gonna are you gonna write a book i want to i want to and i i've uh i've definitely attempted uh to do that over the years but um 
I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> well, Will, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show and being a great example of what you can do with that creative writing spirit and that creative, that love for creative writing. And uh, also for keeping books alive, man. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, you yeah. buy new buy you buy new books all the time. Yeah, I do. It's it's uh it's definitely um it's definitely something that um I should probably uh, think about because it not not you know in this small apartment is becoming an issue, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> is your is your wife getting a little impatient with you bringing more books home? <laughs> oh yeah, she, yeah, she definitely she wants to put a more of a, a cap like a monthly cap uh, on me on on how many I bring home. Uh, so I probably should uh, be a little bit more uh, strict on that diet. Yeah. Well, so thank you for joining us, uh, uh, Will, and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd like to thank Will for joining me on Words on a Wire. I have to add, um, not only is he incredibly successful, incredibly creative, and has created a life that allows him to live the way that he wants to, but he's just an incredibly humble guy. There were certain things that he didn't even want to tell us. Like, for example, he talked about going to New York City to work for a very large corporation and then taking a job with a smaller corporation. What he didn't tell us is that he was recruited into that position. He was doing such a great job with the other company that they uh, they went out of their way to ask him to join them. And he's doing very well, uh, still living in New York City. I'm Daniel Chacon. Please do like Will Rose and buy books. See you next time. Mm-hmm.